You're listening to the Morning Joe Ranch Show. I dig deep, embrace yourself, and enjoy the Wild Ride podcast. Topics of politics, climate, economics, life, and the pursuit to complain about everything. I'm gonna complain about everything. Welcome back to the show. I don't even remember what episode number this is. I think it's like 93. I don't know. Um, thanks again for listening, checking it out. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope that whoever is listening, that whether you agree with me or not, at least you take something or you try to analyze it yourself and figure out for your own ways of this whole process that I kind of lay out for you guys. Um, and I know this show is a little bit like different. Like I kind of read a little bit of articles, give my little opinion on it, you know. And again, I don't care that nobody agrees with me. I think if the data is provided for you, it's kind of like, well, you know, we just all have to figure it out. Anyway, today's topics going to be articles. I've never seen anything like this. Chaos strikes global shipping. Um, there's also going to be an article about, I actually have two sources for this next one, Global Heating Pushes Tropical Regions Towards Limits of Human Livability. That's a Guardian article, and then that's also from a, an organizational website that I'll go over. Um, why Us? A, fear, a year after being laid off, millions are still unemployed. It's going to be one that's from NPR. I have an article from 2019, the five-hour workday gets put to the test. That is a really fascinating article. I'm going to read some of the stuff of that. And then the last thing is the problem with the fitness industry. Um, this was a this was a really good op-ed piece. And as a guy, I really wanted to touch base on this because I have a lot of male friends that like f- kind of feel the same way I do about this. But it's basically about Chris Hemsworth is exactly what's wrong with the fitness industry. And it's not him as a person. This is not an attack on him anything like that. This is more about that idea, even like, um, oh, what's the guy from Black Panther? And dude's a great looking dude. And again, I'm going to kind of touch base on this where it's like personal training, eating right, all this stuff. As a guy, I'm not speaking from a woman's standpoint because I don't, I'm not a woman. I'm not going to speak for a woman, but from a guy's perspective. Okay. So let's get into this whole shit storm. (laughs) Uh, so this is from the New York Times. Um, actually, I just had this. Here we go. This is what I wanted to read. Um, so this is about... Sorry, I got to get up to the top. I've never seen anything like this. Chaos strikes global shipping. The pandemic has disrupted international trade, driving up the cost of shipping goods and adding a fresh challenge to the global academic recovery. Global yeah, economic recovery. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning and then I'm going to go towards a, one of the sections I want to read. Um, off the coast of Los Angeles, more than two dozen container ships filled with exercise bikes, electronics and other highly sought imports have been idling for as long as two weeks. In Kansas City, farmers are struggling to ship soybeans to buyers in Asia. In China, furniture destined for North America piles up on factory floors. Around the planet, the pandemic has disrupted trade to an extraordinary degree, driving up the cost of shipping goods and adding a fresh challenge to the global economic recovery. The virus has thrown off 
the choreography of moving cargo from one continent to another. At the center of the storm is the shipping container, the workhorse of globalization. Americans stuck in their homes have set off a surge of orders from factories in China, much of it carried across the Pacific in containers. The metal boxes that move goods in towering stacks atop enormous vessels as households in the United States have filled bedrooms with office furniture and basements with treadmills, the demand for shipping has outstripped the availability of containers in Asia, yielding shortages there just as the boxes pile up in American ports. I'm going to skip to the section I kind of wanted to read. Um, the havoc begins like this. That's the title of the section of this article. More than a decade ago, during the global financial crisis, shipping companies saw their business savaged. As a mysterious virus emerged in China early last year, promote, uh, prompting the governments to shut factories to contain its spread, the shipping industry braced for a replay. Carriers cut their services, idling many of their vessels. Yet even amid the downturn, orders surged for protective gear like surgical masks and gowns used by frontline medical staff, much of it made in China. Chinese factories ramped up and container ships carried their products to destinations around the planet. Unlike the financial crisis, when the economic recovery took years to gather force, Chinese factories came roaring back in the second half of 2020, yielding robust demand for shipping. As shipping companies deployed every vessel they could float, uh, they concentrated on routes that with the greatest demand, especially China to North America. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of trying to skip ahead here a little bit. Uh, here we go. Uh, Peter Brom's company in New York, Baum Essex, use, uses factories in China and Southeast Asia to make umbrellas for Costco, cotton bags from Walmart, and ceramics for Bed Bath & Beyond. Six months ago, he was paying about $2,500 to ship a 40-foot container to California. We just paid $6,000 to $7,000, he said, dollars. He said, this is the highest freight rate that I've seen in 45 years in the business. In early September, he waited 90 days to secure space on ship for a container, wicker chairs, and uh, tables. Uh, it's classic supply and demand issue, said Kim Bradley, the chief operating officer of the company, which is based in Dedham, Massachusetts. Um, I, you know, I, this I'll, I'll include this article in the thing. This just goes back to um, capital. You know, again, I'm not an ism person. I don't like socialism, just like I don't like capitalism. But we have a problem where, and and Trump talked about this, that he wanted to bring manufacturing back within the first four years, which is something he never did. He didn't bring manufacturing back here. And not, you know, again, I don't want manufacturing. It's, it's just the same thing. It's like we're destroying the planet more than anything. And yeah, people need jobs. There's no doubt about it. But how many jobs, you know, we have to start looking at other factors. I don't know. You know, I don't know. And it's just ridiculous. But anyway, I think this just goes to show, though, that like we're how our dollar works, how we are importing way too much. We're not actually exporting enough to, to, to keep up with demand. And we're relying on all the poor nations to supply us with crap, which eventually, again, it's just coming to bite us in the ass. Um, I mean, and the biggest commodity that nobody wants to talk about is food. I mean, that's seriously, without food, all of us are dying. And yet, you know, everybody wants their, you know, their computers, their cell phones, all their other, you know, 
cheap Chinese crap. And then they're pissed off that they don't have jobs here. And it's like, well, this is what happens when you outsource everything, including like in my position, like IT tech jobs. So this is what happens. Um, and this ship, and the reason I brought this up was because I think it's, I, th- I think we all kind of knew this was going to happen. Like, there's a K-shaped recovery. It's been talked about. I haven't really talked about it on here just because it's kind of one of those things that gets denied, denied. And it's like, dude, there's a K-shaped recovery. And you're talking like 30 to 50 million people who are hurting really bad right now. And this is showing it. This, the, the chaos and the strikes of the, uh, or the chaos strikes the global shipping because people aren't buying shit that we're, we're supposed to consume, consume, consume. So again, I think, I think the bigger problem isn't, you know, isn't us not spending. I think there's a bigger problem here and it goes back to Reaganomics decades ago and all the other shit that I always gripe about, you know, and Hollywood really likes to portray the collapse as this sudden violent incident and it's not. I've said this before. It's death by a thousand cuts. There's so many pieces that go into a place and and then it just comes to a grinding halt at one point. Now, this is just one of those factors. It's the same thing going on with the unemployment rate. People don't want to pay attention to it. Death by a thousand cuts. Nobody knows when this thing's going to collapse. This freight train is going to completely derail. If, if somebody has a crystal ball, sure, but nobody does. So... Again, this is just one of those I try to call out. It's like death by a thousand cuts. That's all I can say. So I'll include this article in the um, podcast show notes. Just think it's really important and I wanted to talk about it. So the next uh, article I want to touch on. Global heating pushes tropical regions towards limits of human, of human livability. Rising heat and, human, and humidity threatening to plunge much of the world's population uh, into potentially lethal conditions, study finds. Um, I'm going to just kind of read a little bit. The climate crisis is pushing the planet's tropical regions towards the limits of human livability, while with rising heat and humidity threatening to plunge much of the world's population into, uh, where I'm sorry, I lost my place, into potentially lethal conditions, new research is found. This article too, by the way, is from, oh, it's, yeah, March 8th, so a couple days ago. Um, humans' ability to regulate their body heat is dependent upon the temperature and humidity of the surrounding air. We have core body temperature that stays relatively stable at 37 degrees Celsius, or for Americans, it's 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. While our skin is cooler to allow heat to flow away from the inner body, but should the wet bulb temperature, a measure of air temperature and humidity, pass 35 degrees Celsius, High skin temperature means that body is unable to cool itself with potentially deadly consequences. If it's too humid, our bodies can't cool off of evaporating sweat. This is why humidity is important when we consider livability in hot place. In hot place, said Yi Yi Zhang, a Princeton University researcher who led the new study published in Nature Geoscience. High body core temperatures are dangerous or even lethal. Um. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm not laughing. It's just, I'm going to keep reading real quick. This means the world, this means that the world's temperature increase will need to be limited to 1.5 degrees Celsius to avoid risking areas 
of the tropics exceeding 35 degrees Celsius in wet bulb temperature, which is so called because it is measured by a thermometer that has its bulbs wrapped in a wet cloth, helping mimic the ability of humans to cool their skin by evaporating sweat. Dangerous conditions in the tropics will unfold even before the 1.5 degree threshold. This is extremely important, this part. Dangerous conditions in the tropics will unfold even before the 1.5 degree Celsius threshold. However, with the paper warning the 1 degree Celsius of extreme wet bulb temperature increase could have adverse health impact equivalent to that of several degrees of temperature increase, the world has already warmed by 1.1 degrees Celsius on average due to human activity, and although governments vowed in the Paris Climate Agreement to hold temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius, scientists have warned this limit could be breached within a decade. Um, this has potentially dire implications for a huge swath of, uh, swath of humanity. Around 40% of the world's population currently lives in tropical countries. With this proportion set to expand to half of the global population by 2050 due to the large proportion, proportion of young people in the region, the Princeton research has centered on latitudes found between 20 degrees north, a line that cuts through Mexico, Libya, and India, to 20 degrees south, which goes through Brazil, Madagascar, and the northern reaches of Australia. So what's this saying? Welcome to 40% of refugees within the next death decade. You're talking climate refugees, and that's as well in America. So prepare, because farmlands are going to be not able to be grown food. And again, all for what are computers and cell phones and tablets and consumerism. And we're not, America is not the only guilty nation of this, but it's like, okay, when scientists are saying this shit, nobody wants to listen. I'm a doomsdayer, I guess. So there's also predictions of tropical heat stress contained by atmospheric dynamics. This is um, a research kind of um, article from, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I can't read what that says. Um, SOAR, I don't know. what I know it's a, it's a, it's an actual, uh, not, not a government entity, but it's an organization that runs data for climate change stuff so i'll include this in there kind of just talks about all this stuff um and again <laughs> the 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 wet bulb temperature a sustained wet bulb temperature exceeding 35 degrees celsius 95 degrees fahrenheit is likely to be fatal even to fit and healthy people unclothed in the shade next to a fan at this temperature our bodies switch from shedding heat to the environment to gaining heat from it yeah a decade away if that and the, what they were saying is it spirals and this is where we talk about the um the, the loop fe the feedback loops i talked about this on the podcast people don't want to admit that it's, it's shorter than a decade because the feedback loops because we're we're just feedbacking looping constantly going over it so um it's not going to get any easier so let's, it's just crazy. All right, I'm going to move on to the next article. Uh, I know I'm a doomsdayer. <laughs> um, this next one's from NPR. This is from March 7th. Why us? A year after being laid off, millions are still unemployed. 
and that number is still skewed. I've explained it multiple times. The U3 rate and the U6 rate don't consider people who are underemployed, people who are laid off and then lose unemployment after six months. It doesn't include any of those numbers. So the actual numbers when they say, oh, unemployment is only going to be 4%, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's not true. There's they're not equating the people who fell off unemployment, who are underemployed, who stopped looking for jobs. Any of those people don't aren't on the, the unemployment thing. And you can look that up. That's the U3 rate and the U6 rate. Both of them are not actually, it's, U6 is closer, but the U3 one, there's bullshit. And they do that on purpose. All right. Janitor Gloria Espinanza still vividly remembers the moment she was laid off last year. A supervisor gathered her and her colleagues at a parking lot of the office where she worked in San Francisco and then broke the news. I thought, God, why us? Espinanza said. It was like receiving a bucket of cold water. Months later, she is still unemployed and part of a worrying economic statistic. While the labor market is showing signs of recovery, millions who lost jobs at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic a year ago are still out of the labor force. According to the monthly job reports released on Friday in February, more than 4 million people had been unemployed for six months or more, a surge of 3 million over the past year. Those who are long-term unemployed accounted for 41% of the unemployed people in the United States, levels not seen since the height of the Great Recession. I mean, again, I, like, stop. CNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, they don't want to tell you because they don't want you to be worried. They, and I get it. But you should be aware that the that the actual number of people who are underemployed, unemployed, and no longer seeking job because it, it's a saturated fucking market in the job market. Every job I've applied to, and I'm not complaining, it's just every job I've applied to, we have had way too many applicants to go through. We're sorry, we're moving on to the next phase with other people. And that's understandable. I might not be the most qualified. But for every one job, there's about 100 to 200 applicants and, and, and when I'm applying for stuff. So take it. I mean, I don't know what to tell people. It's insane. It's insane. I'll include this article. I didn't really want to get too much into this because I've already said stuff about this. And it's the same thing. Every 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 week, it's about 700 to 800,000 new unemployment claims. And then they add 100,000 new temporary jobs to the thing, and they act like it's all fucking butter. And it's like, give me a break. All right, so moving on to the next one. I really want to touch base on this next one. It's called The Five-Hour Workday Gets Put to the Test. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It was back from October 24th, 2019. To be more efficient, consulting firm tries limiting office email use and banning social media on the job. This was done in Germany. So, uh... Byfield, Germany, last, I'm going to butcher this name, Renguns, I don't know if that's even right, I'm sorry, realized taking time to check Facebook or respond to reply all emails distracted him from work goals and caused him to spend extra hours at the office rather than with his young daughters. So when he acquired a small tech consulting firm here in, the, in late 2017, he introduced a radical idea. Reduce the workday to five hours from the standard eight while leaving workers' salaries and vacation time at the same levels. They were not sure if I was kidding, he says. Some of them thought I was testing them, but yeah, I was being serious. And the firm he renamed, uh, I don't, Renguns Digital Enabler, the 16 employees start work at 8 a.m. and may leave at 1 p.m. Uh, Mr. 
Rengens, the firm's managing director, says employees can deliver the same output during a focused 25-hour week as in 40 hours interrupted with distractions. We have all experienced that. We sit in the office out of energy, reading newspapers online or Facebook, just in need of a little pause, recharge, but you don't really recharge, he says. My idea is focusing on the first five hours and then just leave and have a proper break. To accomplish that, small talk during hours is discouraged. Social media is banned. Phones are kept in backpacks. Company email accounts are checked just twice a day. Most meetings are scheduled to last no more than 15 minutes. As a result, the company produces the same level of output for clients despite shorter days, says Mr. Rengens. He says the company which develops websites, apps, and e-commerce platforms was profitable in 2018, the first full year he owned, he owned it. He says happier employees deliver better work for clients, and the shorter workday is a draw, boast, boasting recruitment in Germany's tight labor market. Um, I mean, <laughs> when you work until the evening, you just want to go lie on the couch and chill, the 25-year-old says. As a previous, uh, uh, I thought that was something... Okay, so I'm a, again, why are we still working 40 hours a week? I've said this before. Most people working eight-hour days only really work two and a half hours a day. If you just consolidated people's work down to five hours a day, you could hire more people if you had to have other shifts. People wouldn't be burned out. I used to work at um, a call center for a major cell phone company. And it was 10, it was four by 10. So it was four days a week, 10 hour shifts. That was the fucking worst job I have ever fucking had in my life. I worked 12 o'clock in the afternoon till 11 o'clock at night. I got paid like a dollar extra an hour for taking, and you didn't even like, I had to take that shift because you were in a lottery. So it was like, you basically, if you were the bottom of the barrel, you just got the shit, 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 um, shift. And it is. It's stupid. Why are we doing this to ourselves? What purpose? Like, what is the reason for that? And I know I'm going to get people, you're lazy. And I'm going to read something here in a minute about that. Because I think it's really fucking important. We need to stop glamorizing overworking, please. The absence of sleep, good diet, exercise, relaxation, time with friends and family isn't something we should be applauding. And too many people wear their burnout as a badge of honor and it needs to fucking change. I mean, seriously, it what are we doing? It's so stupid. Like 40 hours is like some magic fucking number. And we're always working more than that. It's fucking stupid. It makes no sense to me. And why are Americans like, like, like no politician gives a shit about, you know, they work less hours than like most part-time employees. Seriously, they barely fucking work. Like it's so stupid. I just don't get why Americans don't get that. So dumb. Um, but I'll include this article in um, the show notes. It's an archived article because it's a pay one and I found it for free. So I will include that in the show notes. The last thing I want to touch on. This was a really damn good article. Um, and it's from Daniel Hopper. It was from March 1st. So 2020 or 2021. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and this is, again, I'm not picking on Chris Hemsworth. This is more for people to understand what a guy's perspective is. Most, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for every guy, but a lot of guys, a lot of men. What we, what, like, and this isn't women, like, listen, 
you guys have your only your own body image you know problems with marketing and and hollywood i totally agree with you men have the same fucking problem we we just don't, we just are told we can't really like say stuff about it but i'm going to say stuff about it Chris Hemsworth is exactly what's wrong with the fitness industry, exposing the marketing lies, steroid use, and more lies. Um, and there's a picture of his stunt double, and you there's and it shows some stuff that he uh, his stunt double had to go through to get in like prime shape and stuff. Um, deceit is a foundation for much of the fitness industry. Think back to the early 90s when television bombarded us with fitness infomercials. They sold us the idea that a simple piece of fitness equipment would give us abs in the matter of just five minutes a day. Absolutely no scientific evidence was required. The only evidence we needed, apparently, was how amazing the fitness models and the advertisings looked. Uh, social, pro social proof is what we marketers call it, or bullshit. It was probably the first time the models had used the piece of exercise equipment. Instead, they dedicate their lives to looking fantastic. It's their job. Um, let me go down. Okay, here we go. Also, without mention, are any supplements they might be taking, whey protein and fish oil, or something much stronger, something that begins with P and ends with, e ED, with EDS, performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, if not steroids, it's HRT, hormone replacement therapy, SARMs, or another steroid variation. And that's a massive problem with the fitness industry. They sell us a look that is unattainable in a natural way. Their marketing tells us that we can look like this if we use this piece of equipment or use this diet or supplement. They persuade us that we can also look like these people we tr if we train properly and take the right supplements. They do not tell us the real supplements required to get those results. The celebrity movie Transformation, Steroids. The point brings me to Chris. What Chris Hemsworth is doing is not, is not so much what Chris did, but his body double. Um, but Hemsworth is helping spread the lies and deceit that are rife in the fitness industry. If you don't know who Chris Hemsworth is, he's a star of movie Thor. Hemsworth used to be the star of an Aussie soap called Home and Away. I watched the show as a teenager. Uh, yeah, yeah. He has bulked up over years to play Thor, Norse God of Thunder. He also is a part of pretty successful Avengers movies. They're all fit-looking superhero dudes and dudettes, but Thor is an especially big and muscular guy. For the filming of the fourth installation of the popular Thor movie, Hensworth got even bigger and more muscular, which means his stunt double had to build, up, build comparable physique. This is a quote. Chris Hemsworth's stunt double is tired of eating seven meals a day to try to keep up with the Hollywood actor's ever-increasing size. The stunt double Bobby Holland Hant, uh, Hanton, Hensworth's stunt double for Thor, said he's struggling with the eating and training to keep up with the actor's muscles gain. After the interview appeared a blog for Not Paid Health and Fitness App Center, numerous news media outlets picked it up, including CNN Daily Mail. Hatton says he's now eating 8 to 10, quoted by some as 7 meals a day, working out three times and eating 4,000 calories. According to Hatton, I put on 10 kilograms, about 22 pounds of lean muscle in eight weeks with body fat sitting around 5%. Um, and that's the photo that they show. Meals filled with protein from eggs, tuna, lean turkey, lamb, chicken, and steak using recipes from the Center app. And then it says, ah, so it's marketing. Because that's center. the Center app is Chris Hemsworth, uh, his personal fitness app. Um and then it, it, there's more they talk about like how 
bodybuilders, um, it's like, as a guy, as a male, this is where I kind of want to say it. It's like, everybody puts this comparison to like, even Chris Evans when he was Captain America. And again, I'm not discrediting these people for working hard. These people have trained with, they're paying a physical trainer. They have a dietitian on staff that feeds them the brown rice, fish, and broccoli, you know. And they have, like, time <laughs> that most of us Americans or whatever, hum- rest of us real humans don't. We work 40 to 50 hours a week minimum. We have families. We have other shit obligations. You have to spend. Like, they just talked about how he's working out three to four times a day, eating eight meals a day. I cannot imagine consuming 4,000 fucking calories a day to look like that. And not that anybody in my life is telling me I do. It's that it's that same thing with uh, marketing. The marketing side of it makes us feel like we're, we're like that. So women, what I'm trying to say is guys get the same thing. We are very self-conscious of our, of our bodies. We don't like how we look most of the time. We see these guys and women comment on them and we get discouraged. And I'm not picking on you because I understand there's guys that do the same thing on the other end when they see swimsuit models like, you know, Tom Brady's wife and shit. And, and I get it. It's, it's, it's not men versus women. Again, this is not men versus women. It's not a race thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's the people in control. It's the marketing. They're selling you. They're selling us shit and they make us feel like shit. Like that's what's happening. I think we all need to kind of, I know we're all like aware of it, but really you need to detox from it. Get off Instagram, get off Facebook, stop, stop looking at the shit. It just makes you more depressed, really. But I really thought this was a damn good article, especially as a guy's perspective, that it's like, this is not attainable. I will never, ever, ever, ever in a million years be able to look like that guy, like Chris Hemsworth. I don't have, I don't have the diet. I don't, I don't, I don't have the money to spend on that kind of food to bulk up. I mean, and, and he's got a full workout gym station. Like it all is just like, it's just money. And to what, to look good, to get women that (laughs) I don't get it. It's like, okay, I'd rather have a really great relationship with someone than, you know, and still try to look my best. Like what's the problem with just trying to still look, be the best version of yourself, still exercise and work out. And if you eat right, you're still going to look good. You're, you're going to look natural. I think most of us just want natural looking people. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Maybe that's just my perspective. I don't know. But anyway, this was a long podcast. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Y'all have a good one. This week's podcast was brought to you by ConnectGo Internet Inc. Bringing your business to the future, connectgo.com.